0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: Normally being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions, like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.
2: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care.
5: I just want to clarify one more thing. You were sat with your significant other in a bath of beer.
4: Yeah, I can see you recording.
5: <laughs>
4: <laughs> yes, I was. You're, you're wise
5: so. to my ways now. <laughs> Hello and welcome. Welcome back, I suppose, after the international break to the latest Forza Italian football podcast. Nothing has changed here. I'm still Conor Clancy and I'm still sitting in front of my Papu shirt with my two favourite people. Kev Pogdzielski, you're back from somewhere. How are you?
4: I'm good. I'm back sobering up from Prague.
5: Yeah, um, we'll keep most of that conversation for hours only. The listeners got all they need and if any of them follow you on Instagram they got a little bit more than they need um the less said about that the better for your wife's sake and also joining us back in the comfort of his his blue-walled room in Australia it's Vito Doria Vito this feels strange it
3: does feel strange the the last month I was in Europe so I saw you guys in person and I was recording the pod from my hotel room so yeah it's a bit different now but at least it's morning here in Australia, so that's probably one positive, I suppose.
5: Yeah, it's true. And from my perspective, it's nice to have you back as an available writer again, so I can just tell you to do things and you'll do them. It's, it's wonderful. Can have a bit of a weight <laughs> off your shoulders too? I'm sure you're happy about it.
4: Yeah, I, I don't take direction as well as Vito clearly.
5: <laughs> no, which is one of the reasons I'm so relieved that Vito is back in Australia and having access to a laptop. Anyway. Where should we start? The, that's not really a question. The game of the weekend was the first game of the weekend, I believe. The three o'clock game on Saturday. Atalanta-Lazio. Rather, Lazio-Atalanta. Um, Wow. Atalanta went 3-0 up. And then they had done to them what they like to do to other teams. And they they drew 3-3. We're going to talk to Alistair McKenzie. Or at least I am in a couple of minutes. So, we can focus on Atalanta. And Lazio, or Alistair's is going to talk about Lazio rather. But, Kev, this was a little bit of madness that might even be unexpected by their standards.
4: Yeah, um, it, it's no surprise that they give us a little bit of entertainment in Syria, but the way they, they capitulated uh, in the second half was a little bit of a surprise and arguably um, a little bit of a concern with them going to uh, the Etihad on Tuesday
5: night. Tuesday night, yeah.
4: Um, but yeah, they, they they started straight out the blocks as we know they can, and Luis Muriel is doing exactly what he was doing for Fiorentina last season. Um, but they they just missed. They, there was something missing in the in the second period to just sort of see the game out, really, because there was that chance that uh, oh somebody cleared it off the line. I think maybe well, it was Tolu's shot.
5: Yeah, Toloy got the shot off in the end.
4: Yeah, and. I don't know if they they looked at the start of that move because it was quite it was quite a long drawn out move because they had a couple of opportunities where somebody could have fired a shot in and you thought maybe they could have um, just been a little bit clever with their possession of the ball but then I was watching the highlights so I don't know how late that came
5: in it the- was the it was the 89th minute and Papu Gomez was on one leg by then and two oh. of, two of the occasions fell to him so he physically could not shoot so he kept trying to pass it off which was unfortunate but yeah. That would have made it 4-2. And then, what, a couple of minutes later, Lazio went down the other end and got a... The more controversial of the two penalties, I don't think there was any doubt about the first one. This one was a little bit strange. But, yeah, it was... You say it's a concern, but it's it's not a new concern. This is... Nothing happened on Saturday for me that makes me think that I should be more concerned about going to Manchester City on Tuesday night. I personally think City are going to score at least six goals in the game at the had, I'm quite pessimistic that they might score seven or eight because that's just what Atalanta do. They can't defend. And as if it wasn't bad enough, they're missing all of their defenders. So Jose Luis Palomino is out and so is Simon Kier, which doesn't bode well, considering Roger Ibanez is probably going to play who hasn't yet debuted um, from the start this season. And when he has come on, he's looked decent, but (laughs) young and Brazilian. So read into that what you will, but Kev alluded to it, Vito, Luis Muriel scored twice, um, he was doing what he did for Fiorentina last season, but more importantly, he did it in Duvan Zapata's absence, and the Colombian, or the other Colombian rather, is out for three weeks, so Muriel has to keep delivering like that.
4: Yeah, he will do, and um, I, I think maybe uh, the Zapata the, the being out he offers a little bit a little bit more. You know, they've got pace and power. Sorry, they've got pace, less so the power, uh, with Muriel on the counter. But Duvain can can hold the ball up that that bit better. And maybe that, you know, when you're thinking about them holding on to a lead, uh, might have seen them over the line against Lazio.
5: Yeah. Um, and he kind of just bullies defenders as well, doesn't he? So he wears them out that little bit more than Muriel does. One thing Muriel can do that Zapata can't, though, is score when there's not a chance on. Like Muriel could be moving away from goal and still manage to get a shot off and it's quite impressive the way he does it. But yeah, that was it. Um, Right, I'm going to go speak to Alistair McKenzie now. So if you're watching the video, go download the audio podcast and you'll hear me speak to him about Lazio for about 10 minutes. Alistair, this game was absolute chaos and possibly predictably so, given these two sides and what they tend to get up to when they get onto the football pitch has there ever been a game in Serie A or anywhere that sums up the two sides involved better than this one did
0: <laughs> it's uh funny you say that because in many ways it wasn't really you know this is uh some of the stereotypes I suppose about these two teams going into this game was the Atalanta a team who were incredibly good at coming back from uh, being behind to earn points whereas Lats are a team that have really struggled in second halves of games so far this season and um, that when they got that win against Wren in the Europa League recently that was the first comeback win they've managed to actually have in about a year and a half so In fact, it was very strange for Lazio to be the team to mount this comeback against Atalanta, but I know what you mean. This is uh, really a good example of these two teams being incredibly unpredictable um, and capable of scoring goals, but equally capable of capitulating and throwing away goals. So we saw both sides of both teams, that's for sure, in this this game. And um, yeah, they are great entertainers. I think that's why everyone looks forward to watching these two teams.
5: Yeah, well, you are our man in Rome, so you watch Lazio more than than most people do, to be fair. But this game was their season in microcosm, really. How can one team be so non-existent, but then so utterly excellent with just 15 minutes separating both sides of them?
0: It's incredibly difficult to answer that question. Um, Nobody really seems to know the answer of how Lazio can be like this. Um... You know, earlier on this season, the, the questions were always about how they managed to fade so badly in the second halves of games. That's changed a little bit recently with the performance uh, against Ren in the Europa League, for example, when they came back from 1 0 down to win 2 1. And now this game. Uh, but, yeah, there there is uh, there have been lots of questions raised about the mentality of the side, about uh, their preparation for matches, and that was the thing that annoyed and Zaggy the most after the game was the way that they approached the game, because he said they're usually very good at that side of things. Um, they are generally better at starting matches than they are at finishing them. So yeah, it's it's a total enigma. Lazio are a total enigma. You don't know what to expect from him. This is one of the one of the most frustrating things about following this team. Really, is that nobody can ever give up on them because they, they they know that they at their best they are capable of uh, blowing teams away, but they are equally capable of of collapsing. But don't get me wrong, that first half performance is the worst forty five minutes of football <laughs> I've seen a Lazio play for a long long time. That was beyond the ordinary. Um, when it comes. To Lazio, it was absolutely disgraceful performance. Um, I said in my piece after the game that Lazio, uh, that Atalanta, mm. sorry, were good in that first half, but they didn't even need to be. Um, Lazio yeah. made it so easy for them. They're that kind of lethargy, that uh, body language, that's so disinterested in what's going on. The lack of intensity, uh, that's a real problem, and that's not a new thing. Um, so it does seem like they're a mood team. You know, when they're in the moods, they're capable of beating anyone. But um, it's just finding that consistency, Simone and Zaghi's ability to, to get them in the right frame of mind for these games has been called into question and will continue to be really until he sorts this out.
5: Yeah, well you said they were a mood team. One of the, themes that was, the things that was quite noticeable in the first half was the mood in the stands because it was toxic and kind of understandably so given what was happening on the pitch. And given what has been said around the club in recent weeks, there was quite an interesting... Chance the Lazio fans were, of course, asking L- Lotito, "Where's the Ferrari? Can you explain a little bit more about that?"
0: The Ferrari chant was probably one of the 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 highlights of the first half. Um, given how badly it was going for Lazio, basically earlier in the week, Claudio Lotito the pretty unpopular Uh, Lazio President gave an interview to the Corriere del Sport in which he um, didn't really hold back. He was very critical, actually. He did say one of his famous lines that led to this chant was that he's handed Simone Inzaghi a Ferrari of a team (laughs) um, and essentially that it was up to Inzaghi to get that team to achieve its goals. He was essentially saying he's done his part by putting this team together and now that Champions League should be attained because... He, yeah, like I say, he's done his bit and handed in this team. Obviously, not everyone agrees with that. um, Certainly within the Lazio camp and among the Lazio support. The Curva Nord disagree with almost everything that Lotito says. He's not a particularly popular man in Italian football in general. He's not a particularly popular man um, within Lazio's support in general, but definitely not with the Ultras. And that goes back a long way, all the way back to the start of his ownership in the mid-2000s. I won't get into all the history of that, but they, uh, let's just say the Ultras are not on Team Claudio. Um, so, yeah, the, the Ferrari chant was, uh, where is the Ferrari? Um, as you were getting absolutely torn to shreds in that first half. And essentially, yeah, that's what it was. It was a comment on those remarks he made Um Trying to claim that he's put together a team worthy of Champions League football, and then all the evidence of what we were watching during that first half was that this collection of players is anything but. Um, you know that was contradicted, you could say, in the second half by that performance he put out there. But uh, in general, there is a, a belief among the Lazio support that while the quality of the players, quality of the starting eleven, is is very good, there isn't the depth of of squad necessary to really be challenging or at least to be claiming that you, you um, can have that as an objective that has to be attained at all costs with no excuses. When you've got the likes of you know Adam Marisic starting, Patrick coming off the bench... Uh, Felipe Caicedo has been very good but he's not really a Champions League striker there's all sorts of pretty uh, average squad players still in Simon Inzaghi's team and I think that that was uh, where these kind of tongue-in-cheek remarks came from was uh, really in response to that
5: yeah you can understand that I suppose Um, even though they're star players if you look at the likes of Luis Alberto and Sergei Milinkovic Savic obviously have ridiculous talent they're extremely proficient professional footballers when they're on their day, but they tend to go missing quite a bit. I don't know if it's if it's just when I watch them, if I'm being a little bit harsh, but they do disappear a little bit too often for my liking. Is that the reason why they're, without being disrespectful, still at Lazio and they haven't been signed by these clubs that seem to be linked with them, particularly Milinkovic-Savic, every time the transfer window's open?
0: Well... Both players have actually started this season really well, particularly Luis Alberto. He has been absolutely integral to Lazio's attack this season. It's ridiculous, really, the amount of goals so far this season, the percentage of Lazio's goals that have involved Alberto and Immobile. Between the two of them, they've pretty much done everything in an attacking sense for Lazio. Um, that's, you know, something people often get wrong about Milinkovic-Savic. Yes, it's nice when he scores goals, but uh, it's not actually his job. He is a central midfielder at the end of the day. He does like to contribute to the tax. He's a very useful outlet in terms of his size and his strength as well at times. But he's not a goal scorer and he shouldn't be judged as one. In terms of them disappearing a little too often... I think that, that perhaps is an issue. Um, it's certainly um, been noted in games like this when Lazio are up against it, when their backs are to the walls. Those aren't necessarily the players you want in the centre of the pitch. And now the, the dialogue is really, the narrative has turned to whether or not Inzaghi is a bit misguided and persisting in big games, at least with this, uh, what's been dubbed as the Fantasia Lazio, where they're, they're playing these four very attack-minded players in Milinkovic-Savage, Alberto Caicedo, or Correa and uh, Immobile. In the same team um, which can distort the balance of the side somewhat and the gaping holes in midfield that we saw in that first half were uh, in in large part uh, as a result of that midfield not showing up i don't think that that's any, any of the reason behind why why they're still at Lazio that's a combination really of the the lack of any persistent interest combined with Lazio's um, uh, desire to keep hold of them and and uh, hold out for a very high cost if um, if anyone's going to come in so I don't think that's that's really got anything to do with it they are two immense talents they've had some great performances so far this season they both started this season a lot stronger than they did the last one um, but yeah the question really is now whether they can coexist in that same midfield.
5: Alright mate, thank you very much and enjoy the next couple of weeks before I hopefully see you up here in Parma. Speak to you soon. Okay. Um. Hello. Welcome back. I'm still here with the boys. Vito's still drinking as, out of his FIF branded cup. But, the next game on our list then, what shall we do? Oh, let's go actually to the game I was at because this game had it all and I don't just mean with regards to footballing events um, as Kev learned about half an hour ago, but Inter came down to Emilia-Romagna, they went to Reggio Emilia and beat Sassuolo 4-3 and Vito, this is a huge result because Inter were made to sweat in the last 10 minutes and what was a game you would have expected them to absolutely blow and throw away in previous seasons they managed to hold on and get three big points
3: was absolutely necessary it seemed that they were in great control for the majority of the game and uh... Once uh, Antonio Conte put Valentino Lazaro on, it seemed like that was the <laughs> gateway for Sassuolo to launch a comeback and Sassuolo were very close to it. Then I suppose Conte picked up on that and he decided to add more solidarity in midfield by bringing on Matias uh, Vicino and uh, by that stage uh, Inter really had to sort of keep a tight lid on things Because uh, Jeremy Boga in particular was very dangerous in those last 15-20 minutes. And I think, um, yeah, if uh, Sassuolo had made it 4-4, I think Boga would have got a fair bit of credit for his performance.
5: I'd agree with that. His goal was actually excellent as well. It was just overshadowed this weekend because Sassuolo lost. A paraglider was on the pitch. And that goal that Rajan Angolan scored, obviously there were, there were more pressing issues to talk about, other than Boga's goal. But it was a one that's probably worth talking about. But we're not going to. Kev, Pats are Inter are dead. Inter are competent now.
4: Yeah, like you said, it's the sort of game you thought that they'd they'd throw away, and and this is maybe what you'd. You know, we were just talking about Atalanta, but what you want to be able to see that they'll they'll grind it out, and it's that whole. You you, you couldn't. That, the, the cliche of, um, you know, champions win the games when they're not playing well. You know, I don't think we can label that at this performance because they, they lose their solo away for a long, a long spell, But it's when you're particularly the away side. So then you've got a, a team with home advantage, regardless of maybe how um, ferocious that home support is. You know, you could argue there are uh, other grounds in Italy where... You know, you get a bit more from your from your home fans, but you know, getting the job done is is what um, someone with aspirations for challenging for the Scudetto need to be doing.
5: Yeah, I suppose they'll take some optimism from the fact that both Lautaro Martinez and Romelu Lukaku scored two goals each. Vito, and this is a strike partnership that just keeps getting better each season.
3: Yeah, definitely. Each I week. think each match yes yeah,
5: that's why we thinking.
3: get the drift <laughs> but yeah even eight rounds in they're already making a great difference for winter and yeah, i do expect this to continue uh well martinez is the quicker more agile one of the duo more skillful on the ball whereas uh, lukaku offers more that directness physicality and strength so they've got contrasting Attributes, but they still fit in well into into squad. And at this stage, I can't really see them slowing down as much. So, I think their importance will remain. And I think at the moment, at least in Serie, a, they will step up to the challenges. Whether they make an impact in Europe is a different story.
5: Yeah, um, Kev, Antonio Candreva was was excellent. He's got a place.
4: I oh, know. I, I wonder if all of his weaknesses were in his beard because as soon as he shaved it off, <laughs> um, he seems to be a new man. He certainly, <laughs> he certainly got a place within uh, within Conte's setup, and it, it, it was somebody. I don't know if it was on this pod where they made the, um, the comparison with sort of Victor Moses when he was almost well, he was in worse than Can because he was surplus to requirements at Chelsea, but. Conte wants a certain type of of player to play a certain role, to be disciplined in a in a certain function, um, and you know with that he's maybe thriving and it's probably giving him a little bit more confidence to try um, to to play a little bit more not freedom but you know what I mean you know he's mm. because he was try different things. Yeah, he was one-dimensional a lot of the time for the last season or or two. You knew he was always just going to lob the balls into the box, and and you got very little else from him, from him. And actually, the the balls into the box were not uh, all that accurate at times. Hmm. So it's 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 nice to see that he's uh, he's maybe getting a few extra years out of his career when we thought it was coming to a tail end.
5: Yeah, I like Handrova too. You know, um, right? Let's talk about the the big issue about this game, shall we? There was a paraglider on the pitch. It was amazing. And it wasn't a planned protest either. It wasn't a planned intervention. He mistakenly ended up on the pitch in the middle of a Serie A match while the penalty was about to be taken. Mm-hmm. Is that the best thing you have seen this season go?
4: Well, do you know what would have been better? It'd have been If they'd released the balloons at the start of the game for their winsy, um, oh and then the paraglider came down, so everybody looks up, and then the paraglider, <laughs> o- o- almost as if it was you know, pre-planned, um, because you know, I, 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 I didn't think I'd seen this when we spoke before, and then when you sent me a video, I realised, I think I did, but um, beer fueled weekend as it was in Prague, mm. um, meant I kind of just forgot lots of things, probably my own name at times.
5: It was a really confusing <laughs> um, time, because the penalty was awarded, and it was clear that it was going to be taken. There was no doubt about it being ruled out or whatever at this point. And I was kind of typing, getting ready to, you know, make, taking advantage of the pause to get some of my match put written. And then I could hear the Sassuolo fans cheering. I was thinking, oh, uh, has VAR done? Have they gone to VAR like for something strange? And I looked up and I just saw a big, massive thing coming out over the halfway line. And then he skidded and stood up and immediately like held his hands up like this as if to apologize. He clearly didn't know what was happening. Um, and then he was quickly ushered off the pitch. It was absolutely fantastic. though. You mentioned the, the balloons before kickoff. There was a really nice tribute for Sassuolo's now past president, Giorgio Squincy. And really impressed. I didn't actually notice the balloons though until afterwards when I watched my video back. The way they were released formed a heart in the air. Um, so if you go over to the Forza Italian Football Instagram account, which is just at Forza Italian Football easily enough, you can see the there's people in the middle who release it and kind of release it going around in a certain way, and then people in the middle release it last, and when it's probably just before it goes up above the stand from the camera angle i got, um, it's in the shape of a heart, which is a really nice touch. So congratulations to whoever organized that, because that can't be easy to do. And I can't imagine it was a coincidence because it looked very very planned. Tessuola are still fun, though, Vito. Um, they're flawed, obviously, but they should be all right staying up and they're going to provide those who do bother going to the Bay Stadium with some entertainment this year.
3: They certainly do. They're, they're definitely a team that can even that can score a lot, but they can seed a lot more as well. So, yeah, I expect that trend to continue. And looking at the defence... Roberto Di Zerbi put on the park on the weekend, it was a very weak defence. That looks like the second string or third string defence. Not only that, I don't think Andrea Consigli had one of his best games either. So, when a guy like Consigli, who's been a rather solid contributor for Sassuolo over the years, has a bit of an off game, uh, I don't think that helps uh, the Nero Verdi defensively at all. Yeah, you're
5: true. Inter will probably be happy about that because Andrea Cancilli has been phenomenal against them enough times in recent seasons. I want to give a, a bit of a shout to Federico Peluso because he dealt quite well with Romelu Lukaku until he didn't, and then he really didn't. And it was for the was it Inter's second goal where Lukaku just bounced him and then that <laughs> was the end of it for him. But I thought Triple Deli was quite poor. He probably yeah. should have done better for the first goal and then After that, he never got into the game. So yeah, Sassuolo do have defensive problems and their attack isn't quite good enough that they can just overlook them. They do need to sort something out, but I don't really mind one way or another if they don't, because it's making going to the Mape Stadium and more specifically going to Reggio Emilia a little bit easier to swallow this season. But anyway, move on to the league leaders. Juventus 2, Bologna 1. Um. I want to say there was controversy in this but I don't personally think there was. Kev Matthias delict probably could have had a penalty given against them any other season, but this season it's literally not a penalty so why are people freaking out?
4: Yeah, so I saw the I saw sort of several stills of this because I don't know if it was some editing on the part of the uh, Syria YouTube channel but they didn't seem to include it. Um <laughs> So, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think people like to get quite animated because it's, it's Juventus. And I think the first few weeks of the season have have had, uh, well, not just those of us that tipped in to, to challenge them. You know, they want, they want to almost have this um, up and down total challenge because it will be quite sad if Juventus do kind of stay top for the rest of the season. Um, and we don't have a little bit of to and fro but yeah, I, I don't think I, I think it would have been harsh on him, you know. And he's not he's not had the greatest of starts to Syria, so he was probably relieved. Um,
5: mm. Yeah, you could see it. But I mean, as far as the rules go, it's literally not a penalty. He, he swung at it, it; it clipped his foot, bounced up underneath him, and hit his arm, which wasn't in what is it an unnatural position? Is that still mm. the terminology being used? Yeah. But yeah, yes. it, it's not a penalty. Vito, have you any other thoughts on this, or are we all in agreement?
3: I'm in agreement, but also I will say that sometimes you just gotta apply a bit of common sense. I mean, you can analyse the rules all you want, but at the same time, I see that Delict I don't think he had any real intention to deliberately handle it. So I think it would have been harsh for the referee to give the penalty. And just like Kev said, I just think a lot of neutrals just want to see Juventus' dominance end. So they just, they just really want to find any way or any excuse to see that dominance end once and for all. But at the same time, I think each incident needs to be judged on their merits regardless of who plays.
5: Yeah, absolutely. What were your thoughts on Juve as a whole then, Vito? Because I'll, I'll level with you. I didn't pay full attention to this. It was kind of half on in the background while I was doing other things.
2: Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I
3: thought that, well, I thought that Bologna, they weren't too bad and they could have had a few chances, but I thought at the end, Ulver were much better anyway. And although there was a bit of fortune in the Mural and goal, uh, they they played the better game, and I wouldn't call this an allegri stole win at all, the spot what the scoreline would suggest. I do see that there's a little bit of Sarribo really coming into fruition. Greater confidence on the ball, and there were parts of the game where where they did pass in neat little triangles. So, I think particularly with Pjanic in that register role is really bossing that midfield and really you know, tying all the strings together. So I think there is uh, much more to come from you And there are some really good signs of potential. But I must also add that uh, Gigi Buffon at 41 years old, um, I don't think he should play every week, but it's moments like that s- save at the end. You just think, you know, form is temporary, class is permanent. And that's proof that class was permanent because... You know, Federico Santander, he should have scored the first time, but that bicycle kick was incredible, and the same Buffon made was out of this world. So, another one for the whole reel for the great Gigi.
5: Yeah, you've beaten me it. I was just about to say, Kev, Gianluigi Buffon is 41 years old. Discuss.
4: What, because of my age?
5: <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't actually thought of that one. But, no, but yeah, go on. As the senior member of the pod, discuss. Yeah.
4: No, no, I, I, I think he's probably... You know, Ika Casillas won those, the, the national trophies, you know, I know, um Boupon obviously got the, the World Cup, but he's, he, for me, is probably the greatest goalkeeper of, of this generation, probably a couple of generations because of how long he's been going for. And, I, you know, the sentiment, sentimental side of me wants him to win that European Cup this year, even with you know, Liverpool from personal side being in the competition. I think if anybody else has got to win it and even pushing aside Cristiano Ronaldo's almost personal drive to get one trophy ahead of Lionel Messi. Um, yeah, I think that would be the the best way to cap off what has been a, a phenomenal career. And, you know, the fact that you can, move, I, you know, I've spent, I spent the weekends walking about 60 miles around Prague and I don't think I could move like that even at 38, let alone 41. <laughs>
5: No, well, Buffon, I think it is a couple of generations because, what, he made his debut in 1995? Or if Um, not, it was... 75,
3: 96 season anyway.
5: I was born in 1993, December. So he has been a goalkeeper at a professional club for my whole life. And he's still pulling off saves like that. I don't want to spoil the fun, but I think it would have been ruled out anyway because Federico Santander was coming back from a very offside position. I mean, he was behind Buffon when the ball was knocked back. But let's not do that. Buffon's amazing. And I don't really want him to win the Champions League. But I take your point. There was a time when I very much did. Because, let's be honest, he probably deserved it. Um, Let's keep talking about things that make us smile, shall we? Uh, AC Milan 2, Lecce 2. (laughs) Kevin... You're shaking your head, so I'm gonna ask why. <laughs> this was amazing.
4: Oh, they're just awful. <laughs> well, not awful because they're entertaining. We're not entertaining them. They're the they're...
5: most entertaining team in Italy.
4: They're becoming a laughing stock. But it's like, <sighs> you know what? We, we we had so we have friends around tonight because you know we get together every now and again to watch some Monday night football in the Premier League, right. and it's like it's like Arsenal you know, to my Arsenal supporting friend is begrudging them. And it's and it's like Milan. What can you expect with the, the subpar players that they've got on the pitch? You are not the club that you were 10, 15 years ago. And it's not potentially this manager, that manager, decisions, whatever. It's look at the players that you've got there.
5: But it's got to be more than that too, right? Because the, the squad isn't good, but if you look at the last, what, 12 months, they've humili- humiliated themselves against Benevento twice, now against Lecce. They they do it every week. It's unbelievable. It goes beyond the playing staff because they're not that bad. Yeah, but although
4: it was it was a phenomenal strike for the equaliser mm. this weekend, but, you know, when you go back to the Benevento, it's an like awful marking for things like that corner. You know, they're individual mistakes, which you will get when you're... You know you're you're putting those people in positions of um, responsibility.
5: I'd love to just kind of see what happens behind the scenes there because they are individual mistakes, but individual mistakes are only that when they're infrequent, right? But Milan have at least one big individual mistake in them every single week.
4: But they they seem to have a strategy at the moment of signing young players, which is you know it's a strategy you can have, but. You, you almost need some of that supporting experience around them and a lot have left Milan in recent recent seasons. Not that they were doing any any better trophy wise. Yeah. But I think they've probably just swung the pendulum far one way. And and maybe need to sort of fill the fill the team out with just one or two stronger stronger voices maybe.
5: Have you got a, a speaking of stronger voices, have you got a solution, kev, for how Milan could solve all of their problems overnight
4: Well, I don't think they would solve their problems overnight. I think that's 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 the big issue i think um uh, you know uh, uh, with what they've got there, I think you need a coach that is gonna get more than some of its parts out of the players
2: mm. um
4: but but again, it, you know as a if you're a Milan fan you you want them to be challenging for top four. But that's and not that good needs,
5: either, is it? That's and, and that good. that
4: and that but that needs investment. You yeah. know,
5: and um, I, we have a leading, the whole hour for this. It was a leading question because I don't have a solution for overnight success, but w- one man does. I don't know if you guys were reading at italianfootball.com over the international break, but a certain Mister Silvio Berlusconi has his thoughts on what. Would make Milan <laughs> an overnight success his, his thoughts, and I'm quoting him: get they should give it back to Berlusconi. He's referring to himself in the yeah, third person there. Should, yeah. um that would that would solve everything, right? I mean, it went so well for the last two years last time. Vito, get big Mr. B back and Lady B and Mr. Galliani. Uh,
3: I think Berlusconi can keep on training um. He did so much for the club in the 80s and the 90s and even the early 2000s. But his time has completely ended. You know, he deserves blame for the way the club has declined in the last five years of his uh, tenure there. And I think he should just move on and just focus on Monza. They're on top of the Girone and Serie C. Help them rise up the divisions. And, you know, there's less expectation drama. Just focus on them. Be happy with that. They need flat fresh blood and one of the rumours that's been circulating the last month or so is that the owner of Louis Vuitton wants to buy the club so let's see if there's much truth in that or if it's just uh, another ploy just to sell newspapers or encourage more clickbait
5: or to encourage a big money bid from Mr B but let's let's stop that there Kev Christoph Piontek he was left out of the starting eleven. He's been written off already by some people this season, but then he came on and scored what looked to be the winner for a bit. So, is he the problem or the savior?
4: I'm not sure. I've said in previous pods that um, when he sort of moved to Milan, they were there were comparisons with Shevchenko, and I, I don't think he's anywhere near as you know that level of footballer. <clears throat> he's probably at the level that. Milan can afford um, now, but I do think, you know, like made probably lots of strikers. He thrives on confidence and if the team aren't creating chances for him and and playing with confidence themselves, then maybe he's going to look a little um, you know, like he's struggling.
5: I think it's time to give some credit for us to hold our hands open. Credit where it's due, veto for Hakan Chalanoglu. He was excellent. It's best performance for Milan
3: yeah i agree with that sentiment totally i think uh, the goal that he scored was absolutely superb uh, just running onto that long pass from bilia and to score on the volley from that tight angle i think it was absolutely sublime just you know one of those memories from his uh, bundesliga years he just scored some fantastic goals and this is the chuckle we need to see more often and then he provided what would have been the assist for the potential winner from Piontech but wasn't meant to be and uh, I think for Milan's sake and his own sake he's got to continue on this trend because I still believe that he was one of the reasons why things went so badly under Paolo. He needs to be replicating these performances far more often so hopefully it's not just a honeymoon period for him and under Pioli he can actually be one of the protagonists not one of the liabilities. (laughs)
5: Parma-Genoa. Parma scored five goals in in one match. They beat Genoa 5-1. Parma shouldn't be scoring five goals against anybody uh, over the two games in the course of a season. Vito, Genoa are terrible. Like, really, really terrible.
3: Oh, you could get me to say that any time of the year, but the results speak for themselves now. And, uh, you know, much credit for... Uh, Andreas Cornelius for scoring that hat-trick. But, uh, you know, it goes to show just uh, how bad Genoa if, uh, yeah, if uh, Parma and this Parma we're talking about are running right against them. Uh, you know, but the Genovese clubs in particular, I think, uh, off the field doing a bit of a mess and uh, it goes to show that the way Preziosi in particular, how he runs the Grifone, it's just... That club is just far too unstable, and for any coach to succeed, it's just absolutely disastrous. So, um, you know, I I think uh, Preziosi in particular deserves this loss more than his players or even the fans. So,
5: well, what a you, joke. You say that no coach can save them, but is that because no coach has considered playing with a goalkeeper as a midfielder, Kev? Have you seen this from Thiago Motta? No. Right. Well, you're going to have a news article up on the website in the next couple of hours about Thiago Motta's plan if he gets the Genoa job. It's strange. He was he was asked about his system, which is, I think he's described as a two-seven-two. Do the maths. Doesn't add up. And he says, for me, the attacker is the first defender, and the goalkeeper is the first attacker. Um. So, they've done a, a couple of websites, have done little graphs where they're playing the goalkeeper with, you know, those fo- football manager arrows pointing <laughs> up into, into midfield. And that could be quite interesting. I'm all for this. Give Tiago Motta the job and watch Genoa win the league. What do you think, Kev?
4: Well, they couldn't concede anymore. Could they even plan <laughs> without a goalkeeper? Yeah, <laughs> true. It was the last goal for me that kind of just summed up. Um <laughs> it was the sort, sort of bad luck. It took two ricochets <laughs> and then fell to one of the defenders who played an underweighted back pass. And it was like, that, oh, what are you doing?
5: But it was it was nowhere near being weighted enough. He kicked it, he was what, about 25 yards from goal, and he probably kicked the ball less than five yards before Kuluszewski got in. But I love that because Kulusevsky, obviously brilliant, managed to play a 1-2 off a Genoa defender before the ball was then played through to him by another Genoa defender. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. I was just sitting there actually laughing in the press box. It was good. But I was beside some of the away the away travelling journalists and they didn't take too kindly to my laughs. But I'm not, a Gen- I'm not a Parma fan so it's okay. It was comical how bad they were. But yeah, Kulizewski again, guys. He's he's 19 years old and he's already got 5 assists this season, more than any other teenager. The the, the youngest player to hit that tally of assists in Europe's top 5 leagues is class. He's I think he's the only player in Europe's top 5 leagues to assist at least two goals in at least two games this season. He's going to be very very good, Vito, I saw. I think I saw you tweeting about him as well this weekend. Correct me if I'm wrong, but he's got a place at Atalanta next season, you would imagine. Yeah.
3: No, it wasn't me that tweeted about him, but I will say that I do plan to include him in the team of the week for his two assists in this game and scoring that fifth goal. So I think it's really merited. And yeah, absolutely. If, um, if Gasparini can utilize him next season, I think that would be pretty incredible because Josip Bilicic is pretty hot and cold and, uh, I think Malinowski is starting to look good now for Atalanta, but uh, but I really think uh, Kulusevsky he can really add an extra dimension, and depending on how things go, he might have a couple years at Ladaia.
5: Mm. Malinowski is so so nice to watch. Just the way he glides with the ball, it's unbelievable. He, he kind of moves in a similar way to Ilicic, not as slick, but we're not talking about Atalanta now. Uh, let let yeah. me let me calm myself down. Um, yes. But yeah, so I would fully endorse Kuluzhevsky for Player of the Week as well. If you guys are struggling for someone on that, if you go over to the website, I wrote a feature that was from the Tardini. Basically, the first half of it is just about Kuluzhevsky again. And I also wrote about the the Inter game that they both went up this morning. So head over and read them. I hope they're good. We have plenty of other stuff on the website as well. Um, Andreas Cornelius, the first time he scored, I think more than one goal in a Serie A game. Kevin, his second goal was a thumping volley. You could hear it. It was amazing.
4: Yeah, I was quite surprised. Then, that, can anybody be Player of the Week if somebody else in the same team uh, also scores a hat trick?
5: Uh, yes, because he was also involved in three goals directly and had a better performance all around. So.
4: Okay. Yeah. Now, I, Cornelius, it was a it was a wonderful strike. It was one of those that that looks as beautiful as it probably sounds, but I was also quite impressed with his header. You know, had mm. the other one not sort of kind of fell kindly to him and taken a slight deflection, it would have been a, a you know, a really visually uh, impressive hat-trick. But um yeah, just the way he hit it was just really really sweet. And he certainly looked like he enjoyed it. But he won't come up uh, against Genoa every week, unfortunately.
5: Yeah, unfortunately for him. Probably fortunately for Genoa. But yeah, that header was good. Um, Credit to Matteo Scotsorella, actually, because the cross was perfect. All Cornelius had to do was get a tiny touch on it. And if he didn't, probably would have gone in anyway. One of those, like, Luis Muriel's that it's difficult to defend against. But that was a really, really nice goal. The volley was... Oh, it was so sweet. The sound of a professional footballer thumping a ball like that in a stadium and you being able to hear it is extremely satisfying. And then for that to ripple into the net in the way that it did as well, it was a beautiful moment. I'm I'm happy I was there for it. Another fun fact actually about hashtag FIF at the games, that there've been two hat-tricks in Serie A this season, Kev. Domenico Berardi against Samp and Andres Cornelius against Genova. I'm sorry to say Ligurian fans, but I, I was there for both of them and I seem to be a curse on the Ligurian side. So, Vito, I'll let you know next time I'm going to a SAP game and maybe you could just sleep in instead of waking up to watch it because it can't okay. end well for the Ligurians. <laughs> but yeah, anything else to say from. Oh, Luigi Giuseppe he, he tried his best to to do Luigi Giuseppe things at 0 he, 0. He ran out for a corner and. Or, I don't think it was. It was just a cross and there was no one near him, but he jumped up in the air and. Dropped it and made everything a bit calamitous. But then he did make a very good double save to give him some credit. But he does that. I want to give Jura Kuchka some credit. He's very, very important for Parma midfield. He got his goal. And he's a bit of an engine as well as having the technical quality that, I don't know, Anthony Nobaruela and Scottarella and some of the others don't quite have. But, yeah, Napoli to Verona nil. Eric Milik scored twice. I don't really have much to say about this, Kev. Do you?
4: No, not really. It was in keeping with their struggles, really, the last few weeks. You know, where they, they looked as though, if it hadn't been for those the couple of close range finishes from Milik, that they would have struggled again to break the team down. And don't know why they're just not converting their chances like they probably were at the start of the season when they were scoring for fun.
5: Is there cause for concern?
4: I'm not sure. I think you'd be concerned if they weren't creating chances. Um, and maybe you know they're, they'll turn somebody over. I'm trying to think who they've got in the Champions League this week. This week it will be, um, I should know it's our group. Uh, we've got Genk, uh, Salzburg. Oh, they've got Salzburg. <laughs> actually, wow, they might need to score actually against Salzburg because they're very good, but they're, um not particularly on the ball defensively at times when they're just going full throttle at you. Um, but yeah, maybe they will, in a couple of, well, a few weeks, meet a, a Genk or a, a, meet a Samp or a Genoa and, and just sort of hit their score in touch again. I think I wouldn't be, wouldn't be overly concerned because they are picking up the points and nobody else from outside the current top four seems to be really, really threatening.
5: Yeah, it's a bit frustrating because Napoli aren't going to challenge for the Scudetto this season. So they're probably just going to finish third, right? And nothing else is going to define their season. Maybe they'll do something in Europe or Coppa Italia. But third place, is, is that is that okay for Napoli? or It's going to be disappointing, I reckon, Vito.
3: It is going to be disappointing. And I think it goes to show that uh, probably that Scudetto window, if there really was one for them, has probably shut... They're just far too inconsistent for a team that could potentially have provided some sort of a threat. Uh, Early in the season, they were scoring freely, but they were conceding freely too, whereas in in recent games, um, they were keeping things tight, but at the same time, they weren't converting their chances. So this inconsistency and haphazardness, it's not good for Ancelotti, but at the same time, I think he probably deserves a bit of a blame because he's not settling on the one formation or the same first 11. He's chopping and changing quite a lot. So I think that lack of stability, that might be detrimental
5: to a significant extent. Speaking of lack of stability, Sampdoria Sampdoria Roma, big Ranieri's in. Kevin, he managed to keep a clean sheet with Sampdoria this season. They drew a
1: nil
4: now. Yeah, that's fine that he's cleared yeah. up the defence, and I'm sure Do- um, Vito will have a stronger view on this or more positive view on this. But you know they they need they need more more than that. Otherwise, we could see them and their um, Genoese cousins at the bottom of the table for some time.
5: Do they though? Isn't sorting out the defence basically all they? They've needed this season. I know they haven't been scoring goals, but they haven't had much of the ball because they've been defensively so bad. And they sort of, their defence, it's kind of what he does, no?
4: Yeah, but does... I, I, I'd, I'd be concerned if he's going to get out of Qualiarella what, what we got last season or create enough chances. Yeah. You know, again, I'd probably just and over to Vito, who watches them far more regularly and with a far keener eye than I do.
3: At least defensively, things are sorted out, If it, even if it's on the basis of this one game. Uh, Maria and uh, Colley did not look like liabilities. Uh, the compact <laughs> four-four-two shape really gave them sufficient protection and Colley had a really good game. To be honest, I think the only players I was disappointed with would have been... Emiliano Rigoni and Manolo Gaviadini, uh, I think they deserve to be substituted. And the two players that replaced them, Fabio De Pauli and Federico Bonazzoli, offered much more for Samp. So I think defensively, it shows that we could be able to shut down more teams and really make it hard for teams that attack us. But I think it's that last 15, 20 minutes, although... Roma went down to 10 men. We did look much better with the Pauli on the right and Bonazzoli linking up with Cuellarella. And Bonazzoli actually had a good chance to win the game, but Paul Lopez uh, blocked his shots. So I think moving forward, we might see some
4: signs of improvement.
3: Did Roma like particularly
4: the... attack you, though, Vito? Because it didn't look like that on their highlights.
3: Look, they did attack us, but they were very sterile, whether it be... The injuries they've had or the conditions of the pitch because there was talk that the game could have been called off. Uh, I think they just looked a bit devoid of ideas and the lack of space didn't help them either. Losing Cristante and Kalinic to injuries didn't help them either and Dzeko wasn't 100% so even when he had a one-on-one with Odero, he didn't uh, control the ball particularly well and he scuffed up that chance so um, even though the defence the might have been breached a couple of times I think Odero was pretty comfortable where he was
5: Cagliari 2 spell now oh. Oh, Kev Kev I know. You see tell the people what I'm about to ask you because I can barely speak I've just watched it again
4: Oh, want the angling goal. The best but, angle for me is right behind him uh, because he hits it almost perfectly on the half volley just as the ball's hitting the ground. He's striking it. And then it arrows just almost un- unusually for the sort of new modern balls, which can go a little sort of squiggly in the air. It almost keeps its trajectory entirely straight. And then it goes that perfect point between the angle of the post and crossbar into the corner of the net across the goalkeeper. Wonderful, wonderful effort.
5: Well, like, it kissed the post, didn't it, on its way in. And if it was an inch to the left, it hits the post. And if it was probably two inches higher, it, it hits the crossbar. It was phenomenal. We, I just walked into the press room at the, the Mape after coming downstairs there weren't too many people still about. A few of them were in at the press conference. And <laughs> there was just that, you know, that noise that people make when you see It's like, oh, what's that? It was unbelievable. And then a lot of mamma mia's were ringing out around the place. It was, it was unbelievable. I'm genuinely lost for words. That strike was filthy, disgusting. It shouldn't be allowed. He should have been bucked for it, really. It was obscene. Can't have that. But Cagliari are good. They look all right. I know Spal aren't very good. But do you reckon they can get Europe, Vito? Or is it still very, very early to talk about that?
3: Early days, because we have seen a couple teams drop off in the challenge, uh, Sampdoria being one of them in recent years. But one of the positives about Cagliari is that they were picking up results without Noé on the field and they are coping much better without Nicolo Barella. So from the, those two perspectives, they're doing really well. And they're not overly dependent on the Leonardo Pavoletti to score the goals. So if you have other players contributing with the goals and surprisingly, they are keeping clean sheets with Robin Olsen in goal. Unless uh, Ukraine was still out. So I think when you can manage those situations well, I think that's a positive going forward. And uh, Rolando Maran has done a very good job. And yeah, it's quite a transformation for him, you know, from surviving the relegation battles at Kiev or to potentially getting a team in the Europa League. I think that's a big bonus for his career.
5: Mm. Kev, I'm just looking at the Serie table. Cagliari have fourteen points, right? They're they're fifth. Parma are only two points behind them. Parma are eight on the same points as Lazio. That's that's passed me by, and I live here. How's that happened?
4: Yeah, I, I know. I was looking at the table just for coming on air, and it's it's a little it's it's a little not necessarily congested, but. A lot of teams can move up and down, but with from the a calorie perspective, I'm kind of just expecting them to fall away. And and like you said, because they were playing spell, maybe this wasn't the week. But um, yeah, unfortunately, I think it is just one of those scenarios like Samp last year. You know, the, 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 all the things fall into place because they're not particularly unlike you could say Samp last year with Quagliarella. They're not particularly dependent on one on one player. And if they're feeding off that confidence, um, then why couldn't they sort of hang in there and be in and around the Europa League places at the end of the season? Because we're uh, we're what we're, in, we're nearly a quarter of the way through the season.
5: Uh. If if Calle Rad they'd be top of the league. He's the best player in the world, no doubt about it. But anyway, um, Udinese victorino <laughs> don't want to talk about it. But I'm angry because we we waited until tonight to do this podcast because Brash were playing Fiorentina and we thought it might be interesting given that Fiorentina are exciting now but it was nil-nil there were five shots on target and three yellow cards. so thanks guys we appreciate that (laughs) any other business boys
4: I don't think so
5: huh
4: I was just very pleased that I chose not to try and watch Brescia Fiorentina on a tiny screen while I was trying to do something else because it seems entirely justified.
5: Yeah, So really well good. done Kev. Yeah we can <laughs> all pat ourselves on the back for that one. But we did make the mistake of doing the podcast tonight and then not talking about the one game that was tonight. So oh well. Guys it's good to have been back. The international break's finished. I'm still on my international clothes. I should really take this off. It's been it's been about two weeks now since I've been Wearing this, one. I need to get back nice in what uh, I'm this. just glad
3: I've got reliable internet.
5: Yeah, it's nice to see that blue wall behind you and not have to worry <laughs> about your phone dropping out at any second. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's also a shame that you're not here anymore, I suppose. But thanks, guys. No, no, no.
4: Welcome. Thanks, Connor.
5: I need to speak to you both, so don't go anyway. Okay. Bye. Bye. Ciao, gotcha. <laughs>
2: Sono crociati e tutti i campioni, sono del Parma i di calciatori, vinceranno, sono leoni, fanno gol, sempre gol, Ma nessuno li potrà fermare, sono forti e sanno lottare, fanno gol, sempre gol, Del campionato sono la gloria, Ozza Parma, Ozza Parma, questo è il grido di battaglia, Ozza Parma, Ozza Parma, con i gol, sempre gol. Siamo tifosi e con trombe bandiere, accompagniamo la squadra del cuore, con il grido, O Parma, sei fuori! Nessuno li potrà fermare, sono forti e sanno lottare, fanno gol, sempre gol, del campionato sono la gloria. Forza Parma, forza Parma, questo è il grido di battaglia, forza Parma.